Father, we come before you in prayer. And Lord, we just ask that you would take this time that we've dedicated to your worship. Help us to worship you in song. Lord, in the special music, in the preaching. And Lord, most of all, in the invitation. We ask that each one of us would participate in true worship of the true God today. Direct us, strengthen us, and encourage us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Frantz, come lead us in the... I will tell you, it is good to be home. Uh, we left here last uh, Sunday afternoon, and uh, we changed our directions just a little bit uh, to get around the big ice storm. Ended up driving the whole way to Atlanta uh, before we headed west. And believe it or not, the only thing we got on the way out was a little bit of freezing rain on the windshield. Uh, the roads weren't even wet, which uh, well, we did get some good rain, but uh, other than that, it was a, a very nice trip. But uh, got there about uh, two hours late for the meeting I was supposed to be at on Monday night, but the Lord took care of that. Uh, they recorded the meeting, and uh, Brother Lewis sent me an audio copy of the meeting, and I get to take notes anyway. I uh, can't get out of work by... Uh, uh, doing that and uh, praise the Lord for, for the safe trip out. The way back was not quite as easy. Uh, we got to Columbus. Everything was good. Uh, but between Columbus and here, what should have taken about seven and a half, eight hours took about 14. And uh, saw uh, Stephen counted at least six accidents on the way. We saw uh, one little lady on the Pennsylvania Turnpike do a full 360 and slam into the guardrail twice and uh, just multiple uh, 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 people doing just insane things. We probably were for being out on the road at all, uh, but did want to make it back for Sunday. And I will tell you this, uh, I could feel the prayers of God's people. He, he did keep us safe on the road. Uh, we had about 50 miles of non-snow-covered road the whole way between here and Columbus yesterday. And uh, I thought, surely when we get to New Jersey, things will be a little better than they were in Pennsylvania. It was unbelievable. And, uh, but uh, the Lord took care of us. Somebody said, uh, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. And... Uh, and I began to wonder about that as we were driving hour and hour after hour yesterday. But the Lord uh, protected us and kept us safe. And, and uh, I just want to thank all those that prayed for us uh, as we drove. And uh, it was a very, very prosperous week. Um, the, the preacher's fellowship was uh, absolutely excellent. I will try to get copies of the sermons so that you can listen to them. And uh, uh, was uh, did not get that done before I left, but I, I think we can do that. Get copies of the of the preaching there in Burleson, Texas, just outside of Dallas, and then the chapel service on Thursday at Heartland. Uh, there was just incredible spirit uh, in the chapel, and uh, and. Uh, Brother Sam was there and everybody, and it was just it was just a lot of fun, a special 
special time. So thank you for all those that prayed. And, and the ministry of our church is uh, going forward. And that's part of this is encouraging other pastors. And uh, I was uh, moderating the meeting on uh, Wednesday morning. And the preachers I introduced were all preachers that helped us buy our building here. And so that was a lot of fun. And it was just a, a great, great time. And uh, I, I like to uh, preach on things that are going on. How many know uh, what major event in Christianity happened this past week? Did anybody see people walking around on Wednesday with dirty foreheads? Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be so sarcastic, but... Uh, uh, Ash Wednesday and, and, and all of those traditions. And, and I, I tried to spend a little bit of time looking it up because uh, oftentimes people say, now, Pastor, where does this thing called Lent come from? What, what's that 40 days of fasting? And you always see it related to, well, Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Now, was that before... The crucifixion week? No, no. That was at the very beginning. That was before his public ministry began. So trying to connect those two things. uh, I don't know if you ever tried this. I actually did when I was a kid. You know, you you get power from batteries, right? Has anybody ever tried to connect a battery to an electrical socket? Could I challenge you? Do not. Do not ever do that. It is absolutely dangerous. Uh, it was another one of those instances where God protected my foolishness as a young child. I said, battery's dead. I'll just charge it up. I'll plug it in. Boom! And uh, it doesn't work that way. That's what happens when you try to connect things that God never intended to connect in the Bible. And, and what I'd like to do this morning is preach about tradition. Uh, There's an awful lot talked about traditions. And uh, I I want to warn you from the outset, and in some circles tradition has got to be such a dirty word that when you read uh, the Bible speaking positively about traditions, it's thrown some people for a loop. And uh, we, we would not want the truth to be spoken of improperly. Uh, and so, uh, if you really want to know uh, the origins of Lent and the 40 days of fasting, and, and by the way, nobody fasts for 40 days. Uh, when Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness... Uh, the understanding is the only nourishment that he took during that 40-day period was water. Uh, the reason it's called the wilderness is because nobody or nothing lives there. And I have yet to find anything in the annals of, uh, of quote-unquote church history that says anybody except the most nutcase monks in monasteries ever went without food for 40 days. Uh, that's, but that's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. 
Now, is that something we should do? Well, we're going to get into that. But the most interesting thing about all the traditions concerning Lent is it's usually attached in in the cities where it's most celebrated and most talked about are, are the same cities where Mardi Gras and Carnival is celebrated. Now, how many people know what Mardi Gras is? Or Carnival, if you're from South America. It's a time of unlimited unlimited debauchery and licentiousness. It is evil. And so, Fat Tuesday is the day, the last day, you can do all your rotten stuff, uh, all your evil, what the Bible calls sin, and God calls abomination, you're allowed to do on Fat Tuesday one last time before you have to get all holy for the 40 days of Lent. Now, it doesn't take even a completely honest evaluation of those facts to understand that those traditions have absolutely nothing to do with this book called the Bible. There is no place in the Bible that says, go out and sin and so you can be holy. You know what the Bible says? God forbid. That is the strongest expletive used in the Scriptures. That is an exclamation point. Of something that God hates. And yet we have churches and church tradition that teaches that this is okay. And yet we would have people today that would say, we have no tradition whatsoever. What I try to say is, our our history of our church, Open Door Bible Baptist Church, we try to get through and and get past as much of the traditions of men as possible. But before we get right into the text here, let's let's define this word called tradition so we so we know what we're talking about. A tradition is the action of handing over something to another a delivery, or a transfer. That is the primary definition. That was a shocker to me. Uh, And and it goes on, and we're going to get a couple other definitions that are going to be a lot more closely aligned with what we understand the tradition is. But the, the word itself means the handing over of something. Now, how many of you have something that was handed over to you? How about your family name? Was that handed over to you? How many of you have family traditions? Things that your family did. Are they all evil? No. How many of you, since you've moved to America, have taken on some American traditions? Do you celebrate 4th of July? 
That, that's an American tradition. By the way, guess who's going to be with us for the 4th of July this year? Witness from Heartland, the singing group. And uh, Hannah's on the group this year. And some of you might remember Leland from uh, Sarah's wedding played the cello. Uh, he's also on the group. So we'll, we'll see some old friends and meet some new ones. And, and uh, you know what? We're going to follow an American tradition as a church this year. Uh, we're going to have fun on the 4th of July. Is there anything wrong with that? No, that was handed over. It's a tradition. Uh, Let me read definition number four. It says, The act of transmitting or handing down or fact of being handed down from one to another or from one generation to or from generation to generation, transmission of statements, beliefs, rules, customs, or the like, especially by word of mouth or practice without writing, Chiefly in phrase by tradition. Definition number six, a specific definition, theological and ecclesiastical among the Jews. Anyone or the whole of an unwritten code of regulations, etc., held to have been received from Moses and handed down orally from generation to generation and embodied in the Mishnah. Now, Those definitions I've just read to you are not from a theological dictionary. Those are from the Oxford English Dictionary, the lexicon of the English language. And when the translators put that word tradition in our Bible, that's exactly what they meant was the definition of this word. It was something that was handed over. In fact, they even included in there... Uh, because of the references in our Bible and in Western culture to the tradition of the elders in the Bible about the Jewish tradition. Uh, and in fact, that's what they called it was the tradition. Uh, this is what has been handed down from generation to generation. And uh, even in the definition here, they say that uh, it, it started with Moses. And I want to challenge you that uh, even though the Oxford English Dictionary is very exacting, what they're doing is they're just repeating what the Jewish people said and what they hold. But most, most of that tradition did not originate with Moses. Most of that tradition originated in the group of Jewish leaders who, who began to codify and put things together and, and, and try to set this up. And by the time Jesus came, they had regulations about everything. It was their tradition. And this was what Jesus criticized so harshly so many times. In fact, let's just uh, go to uh, Matthew chapter 15. And we'll have one thorough incident here where uh, there are others that are parallel passages and, and uh, then other allusions to this. But uh, we're going to read the first nine verses here, Matthew chapter 15. Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? That's this embodiment of things handed down from generation to generation. And uh, verse, the last half of verse 2, For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. 
But he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now that's pretty negative, is it not? And... um, Here's what Jesus was saying here. He said, you make void the commandments of God by your traditions. The the commandment, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Now, most of us, uh, we take that uh, passage there and, and, and confuse it with Ephesians chapter 6, which says, children, obey thy parents. Uh, Jesus was explaining here that honoring your parents has a lot more to do than just saying, yes, mom and dad, while you're living in the home. It, it said here that there was the issue of taking care of your parents when they can no longer take care of themselves. Somebody uh, was Joking, I think it's an old Jewish proverb, a father can raise ten children, but can ten children take care of one father? Uh, and, and that goes on, and I, I often joke about my 12-tier retirement program. Peter, Sarah, Andrew, and, and uh, we'll just, I don't know that we'll do this, but when we retire, we could just visit each one for a month, and that would take care of us for a whole year. Uh, The only problem is if Sarah goes to Africa like they're talking about, it might be a little difficult to get there for that month. Uh, But the the thing is, the the tradition of the elders made provision for dedicating things to God. That's what it means by it is a gift. And what a person would do is... They would dedicate their property. Some people would dedicate everything that they own to God. Now, of course, what that meant was that, of course, they had to have enough food from the, from the harvest to eat. And they had to take care of the servants and the workers and, and pay all the expenses. But any profit that came out of that went to God. And so when mom and dad showed up and said, uh, you know, we're, we're having a difficult time. Your dad can't go out and, and raise the crops in the field. And in fact, the fields that he raised, you, you have control of now. Would you, would you mind helping out a little bit? And he says, oh, well, I'm sorry. Everything I have is dedicated to the Lord. And, and I can't give you anything. Isn't that pretty rotten? Why did they do that? Well, they also did that when the Roman tax collector showed up. And what they were doing was they made a way 
that they could steal things that belonged to other people and keep it for themselves. Uh, We have a word for that. It's called selfishness. You know what? There is not one verse in the Bible that condones selfishness. And yet their tradition had built it into a code of ethics that not only was this a good thing, this was the most righteous thing that you could do, was to be exactly what God said we ought not be. Does everybody see that? That's just one example in the Bible. There are many. They had a tradition that said, if you swear by the temple, you don't have to keep your word. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, you do have to keep your word. If you swear by the altar in the temple, you don't have to keep your word. But if you swore by the sacrifice on the altar, then you had to keep your word. How many people understand that? Lawyers is not a new thing. Playing with words and making them so that they have no meaning whatsoever is not a new thing. It's as old as mankind is. And the uh, religious leaders of the day had this worked into a system, a code of ethics that they lived by, which allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do that would make them most comfortable and take advantage or leave everybody else just out in the cold. I mean, what would you do if you were buying a used car uh, in, in, in those days, which they didn't have, of course, used camel or whatever. He says, I swear by the altar in the temple, this camel was only driven by a little old lady to synagogue on Sundays. Saturday, sorry. Would you believe him? And he'd say, oh, wow, he's got to be telling the truth. And actually, it was on its last leg and been dragged over the Sahara a dozen times. And uh, But see, he didn't have to keep his word because he wasn't swearing by the gold in the temple. That was their tradition. And that's why Jesus condemned it. But I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the, what's that word there? Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the what? Traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now skip down with me to chapter 3 and verse 6. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition 
which he received of us. So, point number one this morning, the word tradition is not a bad word. There are good traditions and there are bad traditions. There are traditions, according to this passage, that were given to us by God through the apostles, through the scriptures, that are inviolable. means we cannot break them. And there are traditions that should never be kept because they're not from God. And, of course, then there's another group that we'll get into in a little bit that doesn't necessarily matter that much. You can enjoy them or you can choose not to. But what are the tests of tradition? Number one, what is its source? Where does the tradition come from? If the tradition comes from Scripture, then it's not simply a, well, it's not a tradition of men. It's a tradition that God has given to us. And it's something that we ought to keep. Now, people argue about the Bible, don't they? What we have to do, and what we strive to do here, is we strive to let the Bible instruct us, rather than us trying to instruct the Bible. uh, Trying to adapt the Bible to fit us. And so... uh, Some things that we do at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We meet on Sunday mornings. Is there one verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt worship the Lord on Sunday morning? No. There's not. Uh, the first, the thing that comes closest is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, And on the first day of the week when you assemble together, this was an accepted practice. Uh, I remember meeting with a Seventh-day Adventist fellow one time. We rented their building and he said, uh, the council of whatever it was in 300 and whatever it was, that's where the Pope decided that Sunday worship is and therefore Sunday worship is the mark of the Antichrist. I said, no, that's interesting. I said, I might agree with you. Really? I said, if you could figure a way to make Sunday worship a a mark that will fit on the back of your right hand or in your forehead, uh, if you can figure a way to do that, then I might believe you. But the mark of the beast is a, a physical mark that is put on the back of your right hand or on your forehead that denotes worship to the Antichrist. Can you do that with Sunday worship? And if you could, there's a job for you in our current administration. Amen. Because if you can make that happen, you can, you can make our deficit go down by spending more money. I mean, you could do anything. Uh, the simple truth is, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Why do people do these things? Because 
They would rather follow the traditions of men than what's in the Word of God. You know why it's easier to follow the traditions of men? Because the traditions that men invent speak to our sinful heart and endorse behavior that we don't want to change. Well, we know that you can't be a Christian and live in sin every day of the week. So, we'll just live in sin during carnival. And then we'll have Fat Tuesday, one last chance, and Ash Wednesday where we'll all get right with God. And we'll spend 40 days of fasting and praying and being good to make up for the wicked, rotten things that we allowed ourselves to do during carnival. That's a tradition of men. That's why we don't participate in Lent. We don't believe in taking that 40 days uh, of fasting and prayer to get ready for Easter because our tradition is that every day should be used to serve the Lord. You know what? That's a tradition that we can back up with Bible. You see... You want your tradition to have a source in the Word of God. Uh, That's why we baptize by immersion. That's why we put you all the way under. Because that's the way John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Uh, That's why we don't accept baptism from places that don't follow the doctrine. Because the authority is in the Word of God. And Jesus commissioned his local church to baptize. Somebody comes and says, well, I was baptized by my, my uh, Aunt Gertrude. She was just a lovely Christian and, and she, she loved the Lord. Nobody loved the Lord more than my Aunt Gertrude. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing about that. But Aunt Gertrude isn't a local Bible-believing Baptist church. And therefore, the lines of Authority, or could we use the word tradition as it's been handed down to us through the Word of God, are broken. Therefore, it doesn't constitute biblical baptism. We've had people come from other Baptist churches, churches with Baptist on the name, but they don't teach Bible doctrine. And I've gone to that person, I said, listen, I remember one in particular, I've told the story many times, but I called up the preacher and I said, yeah, we had someone that was baptized in your church uh, and and we're just kind of uh, uh, interested in what your church believes about baptism. He says, well, brother, I'll make it simple for you. If they got wet after they were saved, they're baptized. I said, really? He says, you have any problems with that? I said, no. I said, that's your church. I just wanted to know. So I went back and I said, do you believe that just as long as you get wet after you're baptized, after you're saved, that it's baptism? He says, Pastor, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I said, well, it isn't. Uh, the Bible teaches that you need to have a biblical authority and a biblical pattern. And you just need to do what the Bible says. And she got baptized. You see, we don't re-baptize people. 
Because if you're truly scripturally baptized, then you don't need to be baptized. But if you're not truly scripturally baptized, you're not baptized. So we don't rebaptize you. We just want it done right. Is that a terrible tradition? Could I tell you that we've had, if I just want to run in my mind here, uh, I think the figure is close to 300 people in the history of our church that have refused to become members because they weren't willing to get baptized biblically. And you know what? We don't apologize for that. Because we want to hold to the traditions that we have received from the Word of God. I mean, you should have no problems with that if you're a member of the church. Amen? You got it straightened out. You know what? We try to do the Lord's Supper just the way it is in the Bible. It is so simple. Now, we do one thing a little different. We sing some hymns before we do the Lord's Supper, and then we sing a hymn after we do the Lord's Supper. In the Bible, they only sing a hymn afterwards. But are we transgressing the Bible by singing a few extra hymns? No. It helps the latecomers get in before we get started. Amen? That's a New York tradition. We'd like to get rid of that one, but, well, it's just we're going to have to live with it. But when Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper, he didn't celebrate it with everybody. He celebrated just with his apostles. And when it was celebrated in the Bible and we receive instruction, those instructions were given to a local church. Therefore, we practice closed communion. You've got to be a member of our church in order to partake the Lord's Supper with us. You say, why uh, do you do that? Because the Bible says God judges the Corinthian church and even put people, he took people home to heaven because they took it improperly. We're not going to open the door for just anybody to come in and feel better about their spirituality because they partook of the Lord's Supper when they're not being obedient to the Lord in any other part of their life. We've yet to have a Lord's Supper when everybody from our own church shows up. And we encourage you, if you come and something is not right, that you don't take up the Lord's Supper. You go get that thing right first. You see, those are traditions. How many know what Jesus did to the disciples before the Lord's Supper? He washed their feet. Do you know there are churches that wash each other's feet? And they say that's a biblical ordinance. Jesus washed the disciples' feet and therefore we need to wash one another's feet. Well, you see, the test is, is it in the Bible? Well, that's in the Bible now, isn't it? But... Let me ask you a question. Did it endure? Was it mentioned again in the book of Acts and in the other epistles? 
Well, actually, it is mentioned in Second Timothy where it talks about the... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, in Timothy, I'm not sure which one. It just slips my head right now, my mind. But where it talks about the qualifications of a widow and it says that she washed the, the disciples' feet. Oh, so might that mean that that tradition that Jesus set up in washing the disciples' feet mean that we ought to serve one another as brothers and sisters in Christ instead of having a service where we wash each other's feet? Uh, Yeah, you see, that's the biblical tradition. Is a heart of service one to another. Can we find Bible verses that tell us to do that? Oh, you better believe we can. Can we find that practiced? Throughout the book of Acts, yes, we can. And anywhere where the Spirit of Christ is, that's something that ought to happen in the local church. So we reject the ordinance of foot washing. But we had better have a tradition of loving and serving one another as believers in Christ. Could we hear an amen on that one? You see, the tests are, what is its source? Is it taught in the Bible? And is it enduring? Will it last? Will I have to apologize to God for my tradition? Or can I serve Him with my tradition? If I can, then... I'm fine. Amen. And what we want to do is let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we need to be careful. Because over the years, a lot of people have added traditions trying to help protect the Word of God. That's where most of the Jewish traditions came from, is, is their effort to protect the Word of God. The Bible said that you could, uh, the maximum sentence that could be imposed uh, upon another human being, as far as uh, a beating is concerned, or was forty lashes, and so the uh, uh, the elders and Paul referred to this as he he had been beaten with rods several times and, and and all of this, and so what they said was, since the Bible says God said the maximum is forty, we're going to make the maximum thirty nine. You see, that way, even if we miscount, we have not uh, broken the Bible. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you here can count to 40? Uh, Especially if there's a dollar sign in front of it, I promise you, no one here would make a mistake, now would they? You see, God's Word does not need to be protected. It simply needs to be obeyed. And if you ever find yourself in a position where you're trying to protect God's Word, 
then you're going to find yourself in trouble. Adding false traditions to the Word of God. And that's what Eve did in the garden. God told her not to eat of it. She said, neither touch it. Well, the only problem is, once you break your tradition, you've already in your mind sinned, so you might as well go and do it. This is the reasoning people have. That's why our emphasis needs to be on the Word of God. If you want a good tradition, find a tradition that helps you obey the Word of God. That's why we have Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night. That's a tradition of our church. Most, most independent Baptist churches have their midweek service on Wednesday night. Uh, I'll give you a very deep spiritual reason. We didn't have enough support to live on, and I had to go out and visit other churches. And so our midweek was on Thursday, so I could visit other churches on Wednesday. And, and uh, once we got, got it established, I said, why should we change back to Wednesday night? Let's just keep it on Thursday night. And, and it works out very well because uh, I heard Brother Nick Harmon did a very good job Thursday night. Uh, and he was able to come in, and we were able to be a blessing to him. I got a text from him saying, uh, enjoy preaching, and thank you very much for the blessing. We, we gave him a, uh, an extra love offering just to help him through the difficult time that they're in. And uh, uh, the Lord just took care of things and, and was able to make a blessing. And that's just because we have a different service night. Does that mean we're unspiritual? No. Why do we meet in the middle of the week? Because it's a long way from Sunday to Sunday. We, we need a little charge. And one of the other reasons why I, we meet in the middle of the week is because every service has a different emphasis. Sunday school is just to teach the Bible stories. Most of us don't know them as well as we should. And even if you do, you need to hear it again. Amen? Our morning worship this time right here is emphasis on things that we can do to serve the Lord better. That's what worship is. Worship is living obedience to God. I know this hasn't been an extremely exciting sermon and all of that, but I hope it's some information that you can use to live. And when you see your friends keeping the traditions of men and they say, why don't you do this? You're a Christian. Why don't you have that? You say, well, listen, that, that's a tradition that men invented. It's not in the Bible. You see, the Bible doesn't teach for me to go out and be unholy for uh, 325 days and then the last 40 days of the year get all straightened out before Easter. The Bible says I'm supposed to be straightened out 365 and one quarter days of the year, every one of them. So I don't, I don't need Lent to get straightened out. Uh, I'm supposed to be that way, and I'm not perfect at it, but I'm supposed to be that way. Today, amen, and every day. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
as Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and of course we know they had their deal of trouble. Verse 12 says, "For our re- um, Let's start verse 11. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, But by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in this world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than that which we read or acknowledge. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. Now here is Paul writing to the second letter to the Corinthian church. And he said, this is what I want for you. I want you to be able to serve God in simplicity and godly sincerity. I want you to be separate from fleshly wisdom. The wisdom of this world, the philosophy of man, the tradition of men will destroy you. But the tradition that is received from God is Simple. You know, this is not a complicated sermon, is it? I mean, sometimes we, I, I like to preach sermons where, okay, you're going to have to think this morning. You're going to have to work a little bit. Uh, but even those sermons aren't very complicated, are they? Because God's Word is not complicated. It's simple. It's something to do sincere and real. If God wants you to do anything, He wants you to be real. He wants you to be able to be a human being in the service of the King. You know what? If you were to join the military, they would change some things about you. Do you know the military is kind of strict about the clothes you wear? Uh, had an uncle that was in the Marine Corps and he loved to tell the stories of trying to pass inspection. And uh, he would be there and the guy would come up and look at him and... He said before the inspection was over, he was reaching inside his pockets and turning his pockets inside out, looking for threads that had not been properly trimmed when they hemmed the, uh, hemmed the, uh, sewed the uh, military pants up in the first place. He said, in fact, one uh, instructor had gone so far as to check everything, and then when he couldn't find anything, he stepped on his shoe and said, Your shoe is scuffed there, Marine. What's wrong with you? Now, why do they endure that? It's part of the tradition of the core. And I mean, if you ever see a Marine walking around in his dress blues, I mean, 
It turns heads. It really does. Everything is just the way it ought to be if he is doing what he ought to do. You know what? We get picky. We get nervous. We get upset sometimes when you say, now I don't teach ladies how they ought to dress. I don't believe that's my job. But ladies, if you want to know how to dress, you talk to my wife. They do that in a ladies' meeting. And the word, the, the Bible word is modesty. That's a biblical tradition. And if you have any problem defining the word, uh, my wife can put it on no uncertain terms. And we do that in our ladies' meetings. Ladies, that's why it's important for you to be at the ladies' meetings because those kinds of things are discussed in an attitude and in a place where they can be to a point where something good happens if you want to hear it. Uh, men, we want you to look sharp. Why? Because we're serving the King of Kings. We ought to. Amen? Why is our appearance important? Well, just let me ask you a question. How many of you like the auditorium now that we finished it since we began? It's a lot nicer now, isn't it? We want to make it so that it's easier for you to concentrate on the things of God. That's why we have the running water in the back. It keeps you from being distracted about other things. Amen? Listen. Tradition is not a bad thing. If that tradition is from God, then we have a God-given responsibility to follow that tradition just as it's set out in the Bible. Not to add to it, not to take away from it. There are other traditions that we have put in place to, to make it easier for us to encourage us in our service for the Lord. I don't know if I finished this or not, but our Thursday nights, our Sunday night service is about prayer and practical Christian living. That's why we encourage you to be here for that. Our Thursday night service is meat and potatoes. That is uh, doctrinal, expository teaching and preaching. If you're going to grow in Christ, you need that. Every service is a different part of your Christianity. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that we need to serve Christ in every part of our life. And, and we want to make that easier for you. We want to encourage you. And that someone said, well, why can't we just have church every day? Well, if we just had church every day... I wouldn't be able to prepare the sermons that I do. And we, people would pick and choose which ones. We, we have corporate worship so we can teach specific things from God's Word to encourage you in serving the Lord together as a church. Amen? That daily teaching, by the way, where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Do you think this could help with daily teaching? It's a tradition. Is it in the Word of God? Will it last forever? Yeah. So, it's good tradition. And you don't have to get so mad 
and angry about all the worldly traditions. But what you can do is say, we got, we got better traditions at our church. We got ones that are rooted in the Scripture and ones that actually help me serve God and ones that don't give me license to go out and do something the Bible says not to do. You know what? People understand that. That's why they like those traditions. Because it gives them permission to do things the Bible says no. Paul said, I want you to serve God in simplicity and godly sincerity. But by the grace of God, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. But you know what? They were also used greatly of God to get a testimony of God's word out into all that area. There were many people that heard in that day, if you can serve God in Corinth, why can't you serve God here? You know, we've had preachers say, well, if you can live for God in New York City, why can't you live for God in Kansas? And I've tried to build on that, and, and, and I tell preachers, listen, when sometimes they'll say, well, listen, why can't you just accept some of these new things? I said, because, listen, you, you might like this Broadway stuff, and you can get away with putting Broadway stuff in your church in Kansas, because the real Broadway is 1,600 and some odd miles away. But the real Broadway is only seven subway stops or something like that from my church. You can't outworld the world when you're right in the world. Uh, that's not a tradition that's from the Bible. We don't try to imitate the world. If we're going to imitate anything, we're going to imitate Jesus Christ. Simplicity. Godly sincerity. Those are biblical traditions. And we just need to serve God as simply and as honestly as we can. And all God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church and individuals as we're faced with all of these traditions and thoughts and things, that we just simply be content with that which is in the Scripture. And Lord, that we would simply love You and serve You. Lord, I pray for those that are here today and they have yet to trust You as their Savior, that they would be willing to receive that which is handed to us. What the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Lord, I pray for those that are our members of our church that we would serve you in simplicity and godly sincerity, that you would help us 
Lord, that we would not waste time being angry at the world and all their traditions, but we would be busy embracing that which the Bible teaches, that we may serve you. We pray for those that still need to make decisions about baptism and other things, church membership and serving God, and even just being faithful to more than Sunday morning. That you would help us to hold to those godly and biblical traditions. That when we meet you, we'll be able to hear, well done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.